You're listening to Dog Capital. You're with Ben and Jacob. We're broadcasting from the mean streets of small air liberal Canberra, adding our unasked for socialist insights and solidarity with working people and the poor, fighting capitalism from Fishwick to Finland. On this episode <laughs> of Dog Capital, we're very happy to be talking to our dear comrade, Suzanne Orr, Labor member of the ACT Legislative Assembly from the city of Yerby about the progress for a four-day week. But first, Patreon. We do have a Patreon. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters. You can show your solidarity at www.patreon.com forward slash Dole Capital. That's D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. Please like, share and subscribe to our show and leave a review on your preferred podcast application. Thank you for our supporters who have helped us with our broadcast hosting fees and equipment. We're currently saving for some uh, Big Bang stuff, so uh, your contributions are definitely most welcome. And your support helps motivate and resource us to make more content. And uh, we're recording on Ngunnawal country, um, and we pay our respects to Ngunnawal elders past, present and emerging. Um, We acknowledge that the sovereignty sovereignty was never ceded, um, and we'd like to express our solidarity with struggles to end continuing injustices for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all over Australia. Um, And maybe just add our hopefully collective support for the the voice to parliament, um, since that's been in the the news (laughs) this week. That's right. Now... Mm. By way of background uh, for this uh, today's episode, the ACT Legislative Assembly has a standing committee on on economy and gender and economic equality, and has recently closed its submissions into its inquiry into the future of the working week. Now, this ex- inquiry uh, was seen by many on the left and in the broader progressive workplace relations so actors as an important opportunity to look into the viability of the ACT moving towards a four-day week. Um, so very exciting for many of us, particularly in IR nerds out there. In recent years, a range of countries have, and large corporate employers have conducted trials into adapting uh, or adopt, sorry, adopting a four-day week. The ACT government uh, is governed by its legislative assembly and it's a unique jurisdiction in Australia. You know, that partly it's partially a very large council, but it's also a small state government with a range of powers, including health, education and criminal justice. The ACT Assembly's Standing Committee on on the Economy and Gender Economic Equality so is a cross-party committee. And on the 4th of May 2021, it launched an inqu- uh, its inquiry into the future of the working week. In particular, what a four-day week would look like and whether it is the future of work. A once radical idea of four-day week is increasingly being looked at across a range of social and political actors as a way to adapt to work for the 21st century. If the ACT were to adopt a four-day week in its public services, it would be a first for Australia and very significant internationally. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you going? Yeah, look, it's fantastic Great, having the, the deputy chair of this inquiry talking to us today. I should probably, um, I'll probably just put my disclaimer in. Um, so the chair is the one who speaks on behalf of the committee. So while I'm on the committee and I'm very happy to be talking to you uh, here today, making comment in my own capacity and um, just want to put in my disclaimer that uh, it's not on behalf of the committee, which is still forming its view during its inquiry. Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, but we're excited to hear from you about what 
progress the committee's been making and how the you know submissions have been going and what's been happening with the review so yeah 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 so as you I mean as you sort of mentioned um and Benny just a heads up for you instead of saying the full um name of the committee because it is quite a bit of a tongue twister we just say eggy committee if that makes the rest of the podcast a bit easier for you mate (laughs) that will help massively yeah thank you (laughs) I was Um, gonna save us like 10 minutes over the course of the episode the committee well I thought it was at least you know two or three times just so we're clear that it's a, yeah. as to what it is. It's not the ACT government. It's a committee of the. Assembly. It is, yeah, it is, and that's actually a really good point. Is it's it's, it's not the government um, inquiring into the four day work week, and they've made a submission which is um, publicly available, and um, I you know encourage people to check it out because it's quite an interesting submission. But they do sort of indicate quite an openness to the the concept, which is a bit exciting. Um, And, you know, but it is the committee inquiry. It's not the government. So it's part of the Legislative Assembly. As Benny said, it's it's the three different members from three different parties. So we're going to get a range of views going into that committee inquiry. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch it um, unfold over time. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's been pretty exciting. We've had all the submissions come in. A lot of them are now published and, and publicly available through the website, and they're worth a good read because there's quite a few different um, uh, positions expressed within there and, and different issues that are raised, um, which is sort of consistent with a lot of what I hear from people um, who, you know, my constituents, we went out and told them the inquiry was on. So we got a lot of views come forward there. As you said, like Benny, it's definitely stirred some <clears throat> definitely stirred some excitement within certain circles and I've had a lot of people <laughs> approach me. And um, I think the biggest bit that we get, though, is, is, is people sort of say, well, we love the idea, but how does it work? So a lot of the stuff that we're now uh, going through now is like how do we actually practically implement something and how feasible is that across so many different industries and professions that are all slightly different in how they do their work? Mm. Yeah, now, now, so the, yeah, that's great background there, Suzanne. And uh, look, the inquiry concluded its written submissions in December mm-hmm. of 2022. Yeah, yeah. And how how has the public engagement? I mean, you've you've had engagement from constituents. We know there's been a number of written submissions, um, particularly from um, some interesting sources as well. I thought I was I was very chuffed to see uh, the think the UK think tank Autonomy uh, wrote a submission, as did the United Kingdom's uh, campaign for the four day week. Um, you know, which is a, an awesome campaign going on over there, but also a range of the different um, workplace actors as well. Um, how has the public engagement gone um, with this inquiry? I know we've had written submissions, but there's been other ways as well to get people to interact with. Yeah, the, yeah. So, the so one of the things that the um, one of the things the committee has done, which is, it's not the first time a committee's done this, but it's certainly not the most often used thing, um, is that we have put out a survey to to Canberrans. So we find. You know, in all my time in the Assembly, on every committee that I've ever been on, you, you say to people, make a submission, and everyone thinks they have to write a small essay, it's got to have footnotes and references, um, which isn't the case. That, you know, a submission to an inquiry can just be a page-long email if you want it to be. Um, but it's certainly just just saying cre- make a submission creates a barrier for people participating, and, and to overcome that, we've actually put out a bit of a survey because while people won't um, necessarily go off and write a submission, you know, happy to do like a four-minute survey that they can click through on a, on their own phone while they're you know on the bus or whatever coming home from work. Um, so we have also had that survey out. Um, it has had, uh, I think, quite. Um, a good response as far as people participating in it. The committee, with it being the start of the year, Benny and um, Jacob and the Assembly just kicking it back up, the committee hasn't had a lot of um, time to meet just yet. We've just come off the back of the first sitting week of the year. 
Um, and hopefully we'll meet again soon and we'll be able to consider uh, all the stuff that's come in so that the results of that survey, any other submissions that have come in um, and look to, to publish those um, and so that they can be put out in the public arena for everyone to see. But it is, you know, it, just making the point there that, like, yes, we've had the survey, we've had the submissions. We will probably move to hearings, but that is a decision of the committee um, that the committee will make over the coming days. But there is there is quite a bit there that's quite um I think worth delving down into the detail a little bit more and so that's usually a pretty good indication that hearings will be beneficial. And so Suzanne, do you, would you expect hearings to uh, basically be um, people and organisations that have made written submissions coming in and um, expanding on them or is it you're going to see like a, a wider net or something narrower or yeah yeah so so usually with the with the um, committee processes and this goes for all the committees um, usually what they'll do is they'll call for written submissions and uh, off the back of the written submissions if there's things that uh, committees want to delve deeper into or cross-examine the evidence yeah. that's been provided for um, they'll call witnesses or they'll make a witness list um, off the back of those submissions and um, they will have the hearings from that now you know having said that usually it's off the witness submissions I've, I've been on various inquiries over the time where you've had additional people come in they might not have submitted but you know it might be an organization or a group that you think um, has a perspective that's worth hearing and they might not have heard about the committee or they might not have been in a position to put in a submission on the time um, requirements say so, you know the period that the submissions were open for etc so you know it does it does happen where you won't have a written submission and you'll still appear at a hearing but but you know nine times out of ten it's it's off the submissions yeah now with that with that survey is that still open at the moment Suzanne? No, the survey closed um, with the submission date, so wow. so that one has that one has finished up. So unfortunately, can't give it a plug. <laughs> yep. It would have been good. Well, um, you know, but... we did we did a lot on this show. We did on our uh, Twitter handle, but yes. <laughs> so yeah, and we and it was it was um, shared on social media, and it did go out. So and it definitely got some traction, and people were interested. And um, I know I shared it on my own um, social media for my. Um, public page and, and definitely we got comments coming back and and like I said a lot of the comments were I love the idea but how do we do it how yeah. do we do it yeah. and, and that's the thing that leads into the next question uh Suzanne is like when we when we had a we got a good old chat in August 2021 about um four-day week is that, that long ago my god yeah COVID days <laughs> yeah. and we're pretty much like I mean as socialists the the model of a four-day week and the one that um uh, the left uh, that is engaged with the idea talk about is the idea of um, a no loss of pay, like so like a 30-hour week with no loss of pay is the, the sort of model. Um, we've got some sort of like, oh, look, it's a good idea, but, you know, what? how is it going to work? Um, what, what do you think, What um, in terms of the support for this this concept of like a four-day week with no loss of pay, is, is some of that um, the support for the idea, like before we get into the sort of, well, how do we do it? Is it too hard? Um, has it surprised you some of the the take up amongst some various um, groups that have gone and made submissions and the, the interaction that um, yeah, you've had so, so, and the parties had? Yeah, so two of the two of the submissions which are public, so pretty comfortable talking about them, is, is from the um, AEU and the Nurses and Midwives Federation, um, and I, I think they were really positive towards it and, and actually said there'd be a lot of well-being benefits for our workforces and particularly you know after the last couple of years when we know that education and health have just you know the workforces have just been extended you know beyond imagine um 
because of, of the COVID and the pandemic. But I think so it was actually quite interesting hearing them come out, um, you know, so enthusiastic for it because a lot of the other comments I got from people who were like, well, I can see how, you know, I'm in an office-based job and I can see how nine to five, you can just change that to four days. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's in the commentary that I've received from people, it's, it's viewed as quite an easy step change to go from um, five to four days in a nine to five office position. But the question we get all the time is, but how do you do that if you're not in an, you know, in an office working nine to five? Um, and teachers and the healthcare professions, they're the ones that are really pointed out. So it was it was really um, interesting to see these two worker representatives groups come out, like these two unions come out and say, hang on, wait, we think this is this is actually something that's great mm-hmm. um, and that we should be actively looking at and our workforces can do this and can benefit from it. Um within the submissions as far to going as to how they do it, it was more a case of we'll work with you to figure it out. Um, but just knowing that it's in their mind, it's possible and that it's something that can be achieved if we apply our thinking, I think is 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 quite a big um, step in overcoming um, that perceived hurdle that's there that this is only for nine to five office work. Um, and, I, you know, I would point to as well, um, Jutteberg in Sweden, their council quite a few years ago actually did a trial of a four-day work week and they they put nurses um, in that category. So it has been done and, and they found really good benefits there. And the way they did it um, of having the nurses in the, the um, four-day workweek trial was they did up staff, um, which, is a, which isn't a challenge of its own at the moment for us because we, you know, um, so they did up staff, but they changed the roster. So you had, you, you had shortened out. So you're doing the same amount of money, but you're doing less hours. Um, and it was still across five days a week. So it actually worked where you might have a shift, say, from, I don't know, seven till two, for example. Um, and then the other shift would be two to ten because, you know, with, with nursing it goes around the clock. Um, but they found at the end of that that there was a huge increase in in the um, work-life balance of the people participating because they sort of said, well, you know, I'm going to be working these rostered hours, but, hey, I get the whole evening. I can go home. I actually have time to make dinner, sit with the family, or, hey, I can do the, the, the school run with the kids in the morning. And just just the balance that was applicable when they weren't working these extra long shifts and, and so forth. So, you know, it's certainly something that I think, you know, sometimes as, as humans we sort of go, it's all a bit too hard, but if we turn our thinking to it and do the hard thinking, we actually can overcome it. Yeah. So can I ask Suzanne, in those trials, um, it, when they um, reduce the working time of staff by, let's say, just as a working number, like about 20%, right, if it's like effectively going from a five-day to a four-day working week, um, does that equal out to the employer's wage bill going up by around 20% when they up staff to cover that? Yeah, all the trials are a little bit different and it does yeah. depend. So in, in Jutteberg, the um, wage bill did go up, the council um, yeah as a part of the trial voted to increase the funding for that period yeah. um, so that they could see the, the wellbeing requirements. And, and certainly that was part of the report was they said, you know, you, you need to find a sustainable way of funding this. Yes. Um, whereas for other organisations, uh, you know, particularly more of your office-based work, um, they haven't, they haven't had to increase the wage bill because it's been a, sh- a contraction of the working hours, but not a contraction of the work. You're just working more efficiently. Um, so I think it was um, it was one of the Japanese ones. I think it might have been one of the car companies. Um, I can't, sorry, I can't remember quite off the top of my head. But they went and put in um, a whole heap of requirements for for their head office where they said things like, you will not have a meeting that goes over half an hour. Now, this, this I don't know about you guys, but this would revolutionise my life. <laughs> um, so, but that's how they got their, that you know in, in inverted commas their productivity gains so they said we're going to take off this day of work but we're going to give you this extra time across the four days because you're not going to have a meeting that goes over half an hour 
Yep. Um, and a few other measures like that that essentially said, like, we are freeing up time throughout the rest of the week so that you don't have to have this extra day at work. Mm. Yeah. As I think, I think about, like, um, in industries like um, hospitality and retail where margins tend to be quite thin, um, increasing your wage bill by around 20% or so, maybe, say, yeah, uh, on average, um, is going to be a really frightening prospect, right, like that for them. Um, so uh, one way that I could see making this much more viable is to what might be to like, I don't know, um, integrate it with a kind of UBI type of idea where, you know, we were, I don't know, having uh, people move to a four-day week at 80% of their wages and then having the 20% made up through some kind of like resources, uh, super profits tax or, you know, whatever. Um, Like there are definitely multiple ways to skin a cat here um, and it might come down to, you know, I don't know, enterprise bargaining or sector bargaining or working out what works uh, best for each, um, you know, each industry, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good. It is a really good point, and all sectors are different. And I think the other thing to throw in there too is is just looking at the the nature of work in some of these sectors. So in hospitality, Jacob and I worked in hospitality for over fifteen years. So, you know, we've we've shared stories on this in the past. But you know, you'd know like it's highly casualized. So I I yeah. had jobs that I worked for years. I had set shifts, like they'd be the same. But I was still like you know I wasn't employed part time. I was employed as a casual. Um, and so it definitely putting in this concept of. Um, secure work which i think the four-day work week um has you know inherent within it is actually a bit of a big step jump and and probably a positive one too within some of those sectors where we've seen a highly casualized workforce um because it does start to bring up these questions of of issues that i I think you know you know the the workers movement has been trying to do quite a bit on addressing for quite a long period of time like how do we get secure work how do we get work that's not diminishing um from your you know your work-life balance like Jacob I don't know about you but my experience in hospitality you know even though you're a casual and you were offered a shift and you in theory had the right to turn it down if you ever turned down a shift you weren't called for more shifts (laughs) right yeah that's the experience of so many people absolutely it's like um you, you know it's um total flexibility uh for your employer and um basically um sort of de facto um like contract for you yeah, you know, so there's a question there in my mind of like, well, okay, how do you apply the four-day work week? Because I, I actually think the bigger challenges within, say, hospitality um, and retail is is less about um, applying it to the wage, you know, paying for it, getting the wages paid for if you're going to do a contraction of hours and need to up staff. Um, but it's like, how do you actually overcome these things, these barriers that have been put in place over, you know, years of practice within the industry, such as casualization, um, you know, moving to just wanting to have a skeleton staff anyway, you know, the pandemic has has really changed hospitality as well in the way that they operate um, with a lot more um, technology coming in and, and different hybrid models of, you know, it's not, you, you know, when I first started in hospitality way back in the day in the 90s, because I'm really old these days, um, you know, like, you know, you had proper, you know, it was like a proper setup. You had chefs in the kitchen. There, there was the, the normal hierarchy. You had apprentices you went out on the floor and you had people who actually did it as a profession, you know, running like managing the floor. And then you had all the casuals coming in and that all the stuff. And, you know, suddenly, you know, my 15 years in, in the industry, it, it completely changed. You moved from chefs to less and less chefs to cooks to a cad, like to not people who were there for years because they had done their apprenticeship and they wanted to work in that place to just people who were cycling through, um, yep. you know, and on the floor you, you have less and less people coming in um, and, you know, not, 
like not doing the, the long-term management side of, of hospitality. So it's just whoever's, you know, whoever's kind of been there the longest becomes the supervisor and the floor manager. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, you know, the staff are just whoever you seem to manage to call on the day who, who said yes, because, you know, it's, it's that, that just became the nature of the industry. It's not healthy for the industry by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, and, you know, I think there's also like a bigger question, how do we, how does the four day work week and this, this aspiration towards it actually start to drive some of these structural problems that, that have come up in these industries and continue to undermine them? Because, you know, as much as they're a service industry, it's like the, the, the service is the component, like the key component of that business model um, and continuing to, to squeeze that component and continuing to minimise its, its part within the business. Like I've seen it in so many different businesses where I've worked over the times, so as soon as you stop investing in your people, your whole quality of business goes down. And it's like, how do we actually start driving that conversation where your people are great and, hey, if you give them a good working model, which is secure employment and reasonable hours, hey, you know, you might start to see the returns in your profit. And that's the kind of thing I think we need to, conversation we need to drive and that we can look at doing through um, four-day work week. Yeah, yeah I, that's that's dead set, right? I think there's the universal idea and the, the universal idea very clearly grounding it in job security and actually taking back control of hours for working people uh, is so important to the, the fundamental idea of a working week, a four-day working week. And it was fundamental, uh, you know, 100 years ago when the when the labor movement was campaigning for the 40 hour, for the, for the you know for the 40 hour week the 35 hour week it's not a, not a new concept that idea of having some more control over your work time um that leads sort of going just going back to the the nurses and midwifery uh, federations uh, submission and the Australian Education Union I, I thought looking at those what was really interesting is that they were really clear about like oh and this is how we could do it like they had actually thought about it and you could actually tell that uh, very connected to their membership in terms of like um, thinking about well, you know, yeah, we can work rosters. Particularly the ANMF was it's like as one submission from a nurse was this is a no brainer. I want this yeah. was literally <laughs> what she said. Like um, you talk to any nurse and they'll tell you what they what they need is less hours. And you have the same conversation with teachers. And the AU did put in some really good suggestions as to like how we could make this work. Um, I think in the public sector sort of sort of setting, like if there's an opportunity for, I mean, realistically, the ACT government would be trialling this. You'd like to think the private sector be involved in it, but yeah, it'd be, yeah, a, I think it'd be ACT government first, wouldn't it? Yeah. And if I think. I think that's a really good point, Benny, is a lot of the submissions have actually picked up on this and they said the ACT government's in a unique position to put a trial. Um, but I would point to a lot of the stuff that's going overseas too, is this is certainly not something that's, that's um you know, do, you know, sort of kept to the uh, public sector. The private sector in the UK is currently undertaking the biggest trial of the four-day yeah. work week, and they've received funding and, and support from a, you know a government program to do that. So the government's sponsoring the trial, but I think autonomy's in it and four-day work weeks in it, and they're sort of helping them all in how to actually set it up and do the practicalities, not just the the, the financial side, to make it as easy as possible. And that that trial, it's either concluded or it's just about to conclude and then they'll be putting out the reports. A little bit of a trial going on in the, um, in Australia too on that one, but, you know, has received less uh, received less press than the, the world's largest trial in the UK. <laughs> and so, you know, and, but these are private sector entities that are doing it and it's, it's you know, while there's a huge focus on the ACT, you know, and the ACT government, what it can do with the um, with its workforce, which is definitely um, a really interesting proposition because of the diversity of the workforce of the ACT 
public sector, um, you know, sort of want to say, don't forget about the private sector because, like, there is a way to do that too. And it is sort of, if you're going to go the four-day work week, everyone's going to go, right? <laughs> you can't sort of do it a bit here and a bit there. So I think, you know, yeah, definitely in the submissions, there's definitely been a lot of enthusiasm and people see an opportunity for the ACT government to lead the way on this. And I think it's, it's fair to say um, the ACT government in their submission um, was quite enthusiastic and quite open to the idea that they could be a leader on this as well. Um, which is really encouraging and really exciting. But I just throw it out to everyone, don't, you know, don't forget the poor hospitality workers out. In, <laughs> yeah, in, oh, yeah in absolutely. Um, and then, look, I mean, there's also no-brainer, like what, like, like what J- Jacob and, and yourself spoke about. Uh, uh, retail, I mean, retail and hospitality has been working with shifts and working with try, mm-hmm. trying to um, operate workers hours around what they what they need for their productivity um as opposed to what's actually um you know the the balance there is meant to be that the worker is actually going to get hours that is going to give them a living income and some security and you know time to spend it you know like it's look i've worked in retail and, and retail very much like it's not would not be a difficult thing to adopt to if there was the um the political and economic will um, to do so. Um, and as we know, um, that we do have this phenomenon increasingly in all sorts of professions, but even even just in retail because of low wages or in hospitality is that they, they find it very difficult to get workers that are going to stay long-term. Well, this is one way to get people to have more of an interest in staying longer is one of the arguments about a four-day week. Yeah, I look here, here. Um, I think certainly I look back on my time in hospitality as well, and it, you know, there was this, there was this drive the whole time to professionalise it, and and they kept sort of saying, okay, we can go do this, um, you know, we'll put in cert fours or we'll put in diplomas, and it's like the, the qualification in some points was was somewhat irrelevant. It was like, well, hey, I want decent working hours that allow me to have a, a life because I don't know if you've ever um, worked in hospitality, but the hours are not conducive, you know, to to necessarily having a uh, social connection. So it can get like, and, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of mental health issues that come from that. And I think, you know, you're starting to see the chef profession speak up in particular yeah. about this and sort of saying it's not good for our chefs just to be working these kind of hours. Um, you know, but it's just sort of, and you know, you kind of go to, and it's like having career development is the other one. Like you, I've just seen that industry, you know, hollowed out in the time I was there. It's just like you're coming, you do your task, you go. It's like, well, where do you progress to? What's the next challenge? And it's like people will do it, but you know, the the boredom would kick in because there was no progression. So you just move because you need to try something new to keep to keep doing it. And it's just like if you can retain your staff, if you can keep going, that's that's where you truly get the benefit for your your business. So you know, something that sort of says, hey, here's a bit of work life balance. Here's you know, a pretty good environment to work in and, and hey, we're going to start treating this as, as like a proper, you know, profession job that you can come in and you can do and we're going to invest in you and, and whatnot. Like it actually, I think, would be quite a big game changer for um, hospitality. I can speak less to retail. I didn't um, really work in retail. So <laughs> I was always out in, this, in the in the hospo business. But I think, you know, it can definitely be done. Even in hospitality, it could be done too. It's, it's just you know, the discussion would just be what's the cost and, you know, the reply would be, well, how are we actually going to start addressing some of the structural issues that have come up over the last 20 years within this this industry? Um, another thing that's come up, on, um, sorry, but just, just while we're on the topic of hospital before we move on, um, like, is, uh, and this maybe segues nicely into our question about, um, like, 
uh, opposition to the four-day week. But something that's come up um, with hospitality organisers and um, the unions that cover hospitality is, and this is not by any means exclusive to HOSPO actually, but that the existing issue for a lot of people working in some of these highly casualised industries is actually, well, I don't have enough work. Like I would love four days, four days a week. I'm getting less than that at the moment. Um, so how, I mean, have you got any thoughts, Suzanne, on how like a four-day week campaign can actually address that issue? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really like it is an interesting one too, right? Because it's like you sort of go. Um, part, part of the that's been put to me is it's just sort of like, well, actually, you know, if you're, you know, if you're working say four shifts a week. The only way that you get more money, the only way that you get a bonus or increase your pay is is to work an extra shift. So why would you be signing up to work less hours when actually what you want is more? And, you know, I think that probably actually comes down to a need to have a look. And, Jacob, this goes back to your point before of, like, well, what's the minimum wage we're paying people? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We've got, to be, we've got to be giving people a wage that they can live off to. And that's, you know, like, just quietly probably something that the feds have to address. I'm not sure that ACT alone can fix that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, in, in looking at going out and doing this, it's like it, it can be done. And I think we can look to the... Um, trial of the nurses in Jotaburg and Iceland, um, the Reykjavik City Council recently just did a trial as well and they did it with social workers and they actually picked professions where they knew, um, sorry, workers within their public service where they knew that there was a much bigger gain for them from a mental health perspective by having less hours. So they, they did the social workers, the care and protection workers, um, because they knew that the work they were working with was quite quite traumatic and, and had a big impact and they wanted to give them more, um, you know, opportunity for recovery following being on the job and doing the work that they were doing. So they did the trial with them. And, again, they did have to upstaff, but what they saw coming out of that was a much more increased productivity in the time that people were there so so they could because you were more focused you um had more energy in the time that you were there and you could get on with doing the job so that they actually found that like a they could get through all the work but they could do it with um having less people there you know sort of at one particular time so they could manage the four-day work week just making sure they cover the rosters i think a similar sort of thing could be done in um in, in hospitality where it's like actually if you've got a more productive staff and I don't know Jacob about your experience but like by the time I got to the fifth shift shift of the week and you'd been running around like you know um on your feet all the time and I mean my, my back's still buggered from hospitality um because I did banquet waiting for quite a while too and that just that just messes up your back like you've got to go to the gym and, and strengthen the other side of your back so that you end up with the same muscles and probably oversharing a little bit too much with your, your listeners at the moment but these are the kinds of things and they're work related so it's like actually if you can take a bit of pressure off your body if you can rest your body a bit more um if you, you know you'll come to work you'll be more enthusiastic you can do the job and as you know as a shift manager who was in hospitality you know if i had two people who were tired the other three had to work so much harder it's like so you can actually find i think the right staffing level that goes with the energy level that comes from actually being able to result in a four-day work week i think there might be a bit of an upping of staff but i think sort of you know jacob mentioned in one of some of the pushbacks i I don't think it's necessarily going to be to the same proposition that people think it's going to be and i think once we start looking at this that the up staffing um given that the workforce is by all accounts in all the trials far more engaged um you know, it's it's probably going to be less of an upstaffing than I think sometimes we catastrophize. <laughs> yeah, I just um, do you think there's actually any serious opposition to the the, the idea? I, I mean, are there particular actors out there that that you know think that fundamentally four day weeks are just a terrible idea, other than on an amorphous sort of idea that uh, the corporate world would 
would think it's all too expensive. Do, do you think there is like is there anyone? What what yeah, are the roadblocks we're going to have other than oh it's all too complicated? Which seems to be the very easy one. I mean, there's even people on the so-called left who sort of like oh that's a nice idea but it's just too hard uh which seems to be the attitude of some people who really should go and read a book not leave opinions <laughs> but yeah so 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 i think as far as opposition goes to it I, I think there's certainly just the 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 disbelief or the not being able to get your head around how to do it is is definitely um one of the hurdles but that's that's coming from people across the spectrum people who support it people who don't in my experience majority of people really open to the idea love the idea it's just the practicality so like you said being like it's not the biggest hurdle in the world to overcome and certainly plenty of people have like we've got the biggest trial of the four-day work week ever done going on in the uk like plenty of people are overcoming that hurdle of how to make it work um you would expect business to be a natural, um, I guess, sort of a proponent of the oh, this is this is not possible, you know, side of the argument. Um, but we're actually seeing in Australia that business is moving faster than than the public sector, um, and that there are a number of companies that have already, um, in their own um, volition, moved to a four day work week. So um, there's a couple of consultancy companies I read about, like office based, knowledge based stuff that have done it, um, and a few others where they've just sort of said, "Yeah, we're just going to get the ball rolling because it is a good." Um, work-life balance and we can attract staff um, in you know in a competitive workforce we actually want to be able to attract staff and this is a point of differentiation for us as a company um, so they've already got the ball rolling so and you know their examples show that y- you can do it without it being a cost to your business because they're, they're doing it of their own initiative um, and certainly if it was costing them a huge amount of money and they didn't see a return on that investment you know we <laughs> businesses businesses are fundamental would say we're not going to keep doing this but they are because it's it's working for them and they're getting benefit out of it so I think from that perspective, you know, again, it's like, yep, sure, there'll be pushback um, from businesses and certainly businesses with models that are harder to adapt. You know, you would, I think you would see um, larger larger um, concern from them. Um, I don't know, I, and I use the word concern because I don't know if it would necessarily be objection, but certainly concern because I think people do see the benefits within it. Then I think the other the other camp you get is there's a lot in IR that needs reforming um, and others who just say we want to prioritise other stuff first. And, you know, I mean, you know, if you look at the construction industry, for example, um, you know, they pretty much work on six-day rosters and they're like, well, or seven-day rosters, and they're like, well, actually, like, we'd like to get to a five-day week. <laughs> like, stop talking about a four, we just like five. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, fair point, mate. Like, I, I get that one. Um so I think it's it's more sort of just acknowledging that different fields are at different points in in the journey. The, the thing about casual labour these days, what you see is this phenomenon of um, there are workers who choose to be casual but simply because the casual rate is more than being part-time or, um, or being full-time, which I, I've experienced that in, in working in retail. Um, it goes back to that point uh, Suzanne was making earlier about the job security angle of a four-day week. Could actually, I mean, if you couple that with an idea of making the point to the, you know, about changing our industrial laws and then changing um, the way in which we calculate the, the minimum wage and the like. I mean, these are bigger things than what just ACT can do, but it's definitely part of the picture. You could actually see people go, well, you know, I don't have to put myself through this um complete job insecurity working casually i'm only working casually just get that that extra dollar because i can't live on what the pay rates are as a part-timer so i mean i guess that's um 
I mean, it was one of those those issues that the, the concept of a four-day week sort of froze up for me. It's, uh, you know, on a number of levels about job security, about living wage. Uh, but then we're getting into the, the benefits, like as a society, um, this idea that we are meant to be moving to a society where there's more automation. There are going to be more and more jobs displaced, and it's already been happening for years now. Talk to anyone in retail, they'll tell you about how many less workers there are working in Woolworths and Coles than, than they used to be because they're being replaced by machines. Um, you know, we need to, as a society, work out how we're going to get, um, if we are moving to this thing that we don't need as many workers to do stuff, and these new jobs that they keep promising seem to be, I, I don't know where those are. I'm not, trying not to open a big old can of worms here. But it's that idea that a four-day week is another way to actually help they provide a, a space for there to be work for everyone, uh, for as many people as possible, um, to be active and participate. You know, in that in that sort of way, I guess is one of the one of the um, uh, positives there. Not to mention um, the submissions in the inquiry from a number of unions, um, which I thought was not just the unions, the ANU law reform. Um, yeah, yeah, we had a number. We yeah, had a number of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there were quite a few who put in um, really interesting different perspectives too. Like, you know, you'd sort of expect it just to be coming from from more from an economics business type side, but there were there were a couple there from um, health and well being and and um, you know sort of more future focused type thinking. Um, so yeah, some really interesting and well thought out submissions from from you know from academic areas. Yeah, yeah, and and then I guess we'd sort of getting into the like the actual benefits if you think about the longer term benefits of a four-day week i mean like like our my favorite nurse said it's a no-brainer like if you have workers that have enough uh time to work to draw an income that they can support themselves and their families and then they have more recreation time which means that they get more support and more time with their families and their interests and they get to play um actually have time to themselves and I think, yeah, I think the, the care proposition is a really interesting one, Benny, and one that we sort of, you know, if you look at through the history, we used to, from a from a woman's rights perspective, we, we used to rely really strongly on, on women staying at home, in the home, to do all those caring responsibilities, to do all that stuff. And we've moved to this model and it's almost this idea of the woman can have everything. And I know you've had Amy H on here and she's a bit more articulate on these things than, than me, but I'll give it a stab. Mm. Um, you know, you've had this idea of the woman can have everything, but it's just meant that the woman does everything so it's like you still have to do all the care responsibilities but you're still at work um you know and i think there's a bit of a push a bit of an argument there as to how do we actually start to redefine work so it allows for both because i know and i've seen it happen quite a bit um you know my male peers they want to actually be really present in those care responsibilities because that idea that you know there's this man's role and this woman's role has sort of been coming Mm. less and less and less defined um and i see it all the time where men sort of go well you know i'd like to have more than two weeks paternity leave because hey i'm raising my kid for more than two weeks like what's going on here you know <laughs> like how can we start to do this so this idea yeah. that this model would actually allow people to be carers um or that they would be able to balance what they're doing i think would be beneficial to everyone particularly particularly women because they are still doing the bulk of the care work um but that's the sort of stuff where we i think the the fundamental question under there and the underlying question there is like how much do we let work define our life and how much do we um 
you know, allow ourselves to have that balance between what work does do in our private life and not. And, you know, I think that's the part where we haven't quite got the balance correct, to be honest. Like, I think we're still, you know, particularly as Jacob and I were saying with, you know, HOSPO, for example, it's like if you didn't say yes to a shift, you didn't have a job, it's yep. a huge impost in your life, a huge impost. Mm. So, you know, I think we can start to drive these conversations too. What is the role of work in our life and, and where do we where do we put the boundaries and draw the lines? Yeah, I think that four day week is such a uh, kind of tidy little um, uh, cause to sort of combat the exposure of every part of everyday life to the market in in a lot of ways. Um, and the thing you said about childcare really resonated with that. I thought like um, it, there's definitely a place for childcare. It's really important, um, and it's been totally instrumental in allowing women more access to to work and their own incomes and independence and everything over say the last you know. 60 years um but oh longer than that is but um since world war ii but but like uh at the same time it's not necessarily good for us to um uh just have this expectation that people will work more and more and like it's true that like you say um women end up just taking more and more of both sides of the responsibilities but the other thing is that um uh we're maybe moving to further and further towards yeah um things like um, our basic, you know, home lives together, um, p- parents spending time with kids, things like um, cooking together, eating together is maybe being more and more eroded by the presence of the market. It's like, um, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I got feedback on about, um, you know, the, the lockdowns that we've had and the, the, sh- the working from home and the extended periods that we've had over the last couple of years um, was a number of people have said, you know, one of the one of the sort of unexpected parts was I had all this time to cook. Like I could actually cook proper right. food. You know, I wasn't grabbing food on the run. I wasn't doing this quick throw it together meal. Like I actually could could eat something good. And it's just sort of like it's a time factor, right? It's like how much of your job is you know, and not certainly would just like to say I'm not advocating for lockdowns by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but certainly a bit more time to be able to do things like not you know not come home so exhausted that the last thing you want to do is cook a proper meal because there's you know certainly nutrition's Seems like from the people I spoke to, having a nutritious meal is a benefit. <laughs> yeah, funny that. Absolutely. But yeah, I don't know, Benny. What? Yeah, what do you reckon, mate? <laughs> uh, look, I, I think the you really hit the nail. I think uh, that people under fifty-five get this, particularly with young families. More and more men want to be involved in the rearing and caring of their children, and. Let's you know. Let us set aside caring for their their aging relatives, which is also and a phenomenon because we've got all these baby boomers. They're getting old, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they're coming to the realization that maybe what the universe they've left us with is pretty crap. And <laughs> but we can do a different ep- episode on that. But we go to the men who want to be more involved in actually in the house and household. For a lot of working people, it comes down to a financial decision. And more often not, what's really wrong about it is because it's a structural decision. It's literally like I can earn more money working full time than you can. And you, you, if you work in this industry, like talk about feminization, it's got some flexibility that means that we can both earn some money so we can look after, you know, kid will go to childcare. But, you know, we're going to... This is how working people make decisions about their finances, right? And it, and it's sort of set up in a really not very cool way that, I mean, I'm not saying there is choice involved. You have to make hard choices about trying to adapt to this. Uh, I see a four-day week as a bit of a circuit breaker for that, particularly talking about a no loss of pay. 
if that would we need structural ways for working men to actually be able to say, oh, I am actually only going to work a four-day week because I'm on that fifth day, it's my turn. Like, it's my turn to be more involved and, um, you know, in terms of what's happening with the family or just the expectations. Like, it's not yeah. enough to tell people, oh, you need to do more. Um, it's like, well, there are really material ways. At, at, there are blocks there. And I think a four-day week is sort of part of that. As well as, you know, we combine it in terms of, you know, increasing maternity of parental leave and, and those sort of things. I've seen it myself. I'm, I'm a rather strange, like a unique person. People are very, I've worked for a number of years now, part-time, not as the number one breadwinner, so to speak, you know, in a caring role. Um, but I'm working, I've worked in feminized industries where they're paid terribly. Um, I'm lucky that I've done the reverse of what a lot of women have to put up with is, sadly, we still have a lot of women who are working jobs that don't get paid very well. So if we can get something that does a circuit breaker across industries, it means that people can work um, and earn a bit decent income and not have to work as much. Like maybe that's going to be a, a way that we can address some of those um, gender in- inequities that, that, that really do exist. I yeah, know. no, I agree. With you. And I, I like the way you put it there. Like you phrased it as a circuit breaker. And I think it is because it, it's sort of, you know, in the, you know, sort of going back to what we we're saying earlier, is a lot of people say I like the idea, but how do you do it? And when you start getting down to to some of the the, the intricacies of the how, you start to see those structural, um, you know, problems that are there, sort of underlying all of this, which is, you know, which are much bigger issues. You know, what's what's the role of men and women, um, and genderization of our <laughs> our life? You know, caring responsibilities, workforce, all or not. You know, you're looking at gender pay gap there. You're looking at, you know, some huge questions. Um, but it probably probably about time to be having a bit of a chat on because I think I think the world is moving on and I think the the workforce and the economy should respond to making sure that um, they adapt to it. Yep. Jack, if you want to add anything else on on why you think this is like something we really need to get behind the four day week. Um, well, one thing I noticed so um, last year especially, I was doing a lot of uh, build, working working as a builder's labourer, <laughs> and um, something that stood out to me is the amount of wear and tear that that work does on yep. the bodies of the men who get up into their 60s and are still doing it that I was working with. And they are like unbelievably like Herculean kind of people. Like they're these like leathery old guys who have inhuman strength and like stamina for days that you just wouldn't believe. But I do think like these guys, like um, – they, their knees are shot, you know, their backs are getting bad. Um, and when they retire, um, they're not going to have a great quality of life because their working life has, has put so much strain on their bodies. Um, and so I think th- we talk a lot about like the day-to-day benefits in terms of like mental health, physical health and everything. But another thing is the sort of long-term benefits for, for every worker um, to like when we're not spending – quite as much time doing our jobs. And for you can really see people who do like really strenuous, physically strenuous jobs, um, the, the amount of like the toll that that has. It's like the four-day week is going to actually extend people's working lives um, in a way that they might really want, um, where they, they don't want to be forced into retirement at 55 because their knees are screwed or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good point, Jacob. And I think that, you know, construction is certainly like – one of the really obvious areas that would benefit from that but i mean i think there's some other pretty intensive like even nursing like that they're on their feet mm. and they just go 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 you know yep. um and there's you know a fair bit of lifting involved in that sort of stuff too um and heaps of jobs where there's just a, a huge um a huge uh, 
push on the body and it's just like, yeah, like let's actually talk about, you know, if we've got this idea of retirement and this is meant to be your time because you've worked a good life, like how do we actually make sure that work is only you get to retirement <laughs> in a way that you, you can still enjoy life? Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Suzanne, look, we're pretty excited about the this inquiry and, and the next steps. Like what 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 is what are the next steps for the inquiry? What's going to happen next? And, and I think crucially the next part for us is, as leftists in, in the ACT and seeing ourselves as part of a broader movement, it's like, are we going to need some, you know, do we need a campaign? What do we need to do? You know, what's, what, what are your thoughts on where we need to go with this? We need to, you know, yeah. circle the wagon, get get the banners out and off we go? Or, or I mean, is it, you know, let's just read some more documents or pick a fight with I mean, a couple I mean, of officials who should learn to read? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Leave that one to you, Penny, but yeah, I think the... I think the little activist in um, in me is always up for a bit of a bit of a rally and a banner and a good campaign. Yep. Um, I think you know we've, we've seen that's changed the world in the past. Why not now? Um, so I think from the from the committee's perspective, and again, again, it's a decision for the committee, and I don't want to preempt what they've made, but you know the committee will meet um, will meet now that the new year started and the assembly is getting going. Um, they'll review submissions and make a decision on whether they move to hearings and, and what they do. But that's the standard process. Um, and certainly there will be a report at some stage that makes recommendations. What those are, we'll have to watch this space. Um, but I think from that, I think what I would say, Benny, going to your point is, is yeah, the committee inquiry will continue to, you know, to, to plot along and do its thing. It's got a pretty um, tried and tested process and it'll keep to that. I think what's been really interesting and what I've experienced throughout this is the amount of enthusiasm that's come from um, activists I know across the left and, um, you know, even just community members who wouldn't necessarily ever get involved in this sort of stuff but are just really keen on the idea, particularly those who've had a really horrible last couple of years and are just a bit worn down and want a break. Um, There is an enthusiasm there. And I think there's a real opportunity um, for the left to actually start to harness that opportunity, that enthusiasm and start to um, develop it into a push towards something, if that's what it wants to do, to um, actually start to turn this, this idea that seems to have widespread in principle agreement into something that goes a bit further, like starts to say, how can we actually do this? Because that seems to be the hurdle we need to pass. And we've got the four day work week. Um, campaigns actually launched in Australia. So out of Victoria, they've got some people doing work on it. So like it is growing and there is the opportunity there. And I think the big the big thing that needs to be done now is people need to come together and, and need to, you know, start putting in that, you know, collective action, like not being individuals but start working together. And I think that's the part where you start to see the push and the impetus come from to continue the discussion and continue pushing this one along. Yeah, Jacob, did you have anything else to add? No, I think that's great notes to wrap on if you want to, unless you've got anything else. I reckon, I reckon the only thing I'd say is just, you know, watch this space. I think, you know, now with the new year kicking off and the Assembly getting into action, you'll start to see some more stuff come out of the committee and, um, you know, keep an eye out for it. Absolutely. Now, that's it for this episode. Thanks, Suzanne. Great to have you. Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dole Capital. You can subscribe to this podcast on your preferred app. You become. You can also support the show and support us putting out more content Uh at Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash d-o-h-k-a-p-i-t-a-l. That's patreon.com forward slash Dole Capital. We're also on Facebook and active on Twitter at the handle at Dole Capital. That's d-o-h-k-a-p-i-t-a-l. Or you can email us at that uh, same address at dolecapital at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for very much for being with us. And we'll have more shows coming out in the next little while.